0: Let's stand. I want to share God's word to prepare us for a few minutes of our responses. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Very familiar passage. We'll read that and a companion passage in John chapter 12, which is extremely unique. From verse number 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy. Is the Lord God Almighty, Lord Almighty, excuse me, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and um, thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king... The Lord Almighty. Now in the interest of time, because this context covers all the way up to the end of the the chapter. In the interest of time, I just want to draw your attention to uh, verse number 8 and 9. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? Now that's very critical. Who shall go for? us. So to remind us that whenever we're going, we're going not for ourselves. Very important. And I said, here am I. Send me. He said, go. Tell these people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of these people callous. Make the ears And close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and be healed. Turn with me to John chapter 12. In John 12, we have um, a very, very unique record. of the passage that we just read, but it doesn't end there. This passage links with the prophetic message of Isaiah 53. So the context beginning in verse number 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many miracles, many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This was also to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. This is a very clear indication of how the New Testament links with the Old Testament. Lord, who has believed our message? That's Isaiah 53 in forecast there. To whom has the arm of the Lord been made bare? Or been revealed, memorized it in the New International, in the King James Version. For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere. Now that elsewhere is here. Okay, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can either see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and would, and I would heal them. Now that is capturing part of what was mentioned here in Isaiah 6 at the last part. Can you see that? That is where that belongs. Now, having said all that, let's go to verse number 12, number 41. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. The Lord had blessing to the reading of his word. Isaiah spoke this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the opportunity to share your most holy word. Enable us, Lord, to say only what is necessary as you have placed this burden heavily on our hearts. We're ready to hear your voice and to be instructed and guided. In Jesus' holy name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. Thank you. Our message today, in continuation of our Mission Sunday, so this is Mission Sunday 2, since last Sunday was Mission Sunday 1, 2 in this period. Our message today is gaining a passion for lost souls. Last week we looked at this mission as being an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to do something for God, an opportunity of a lifetime, as we put it. Let me share a little bit of background. Isaiah chapter 6 is set around a context of a period somewhere around 740 BC. Meaning those many years before um, the coming of, 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 of our Lord Jesus Christ. A king by the name of Uzziah was reigning. His reign was marked with great success but unfortunately his reign ended badly it was a total of 52 years of Uzziah being on the throne 52 prosperous years of reigning and you find that record in second chronicles chapter 26 this is 1 to 15 now, in that record, you see a king who was at his best, but you also see a king who was seen at his worst. And Isaiah, in his record, comes in and says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I also So the Lord, meaning others did as well. And it says he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now that indication is to call us to a place of understanding that Isaiah had a very significant encounter. May that be your own experience at this time. That in the period they declared Omicron, I also saw the Lord because you will have victory over Omicron in the name of Jesus. Because it's a phenomenon that's expected to go around the world. I had one news anchor on one of these international channels saying yesterday, "Well, I have no doubt that this this uh, this new." Uh, variant will take its round around the world. We were sitting watching news the and said, oh, what? You have no doubt. And we are praying that it doesn't take its way around the world. May go to a few countries, but we want it to stop somewhere in the name of Jesus. So in the year of Omicron, let me hear some people desire to see an encounter with the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords, because these um, these these uh, mutations, as varied as they are, are disturbing life, and we need life to run so people can earn a living, and people can do what is important. May the Lord grant you that encounter in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now. That's the setting, but I wish to bring out some similarity. As it was in Isaiah's time, us to, I want us to note that Uzziah is really a picture of the consequences of loss of focus, of what is important in life. How could a king who was so prosperous and successful for a good 52 years suddenly end badly? Somewhere Uzziah lost focus. And he's a picture of what happens in life. They say pride goes before a fall. In life generally. As human beings, we have a difficult time handling success. A very difficult time. Some of you may find it easy to criticize those who are successful, those who appear to be in control somewhere. They make mistakes. Sometimes their mistakes are in the public eye, and people are talking about them and criticizing them. It seems easy. Let's get you there. Let's get you there. With that same success in your hands, with that same amount of money in your hands and with power oozing out of you. You turn here, it's your name. Turn here, it's your name. You turn there, it's, your, it's, it's uh, some impact from what you did three, four years ago. And everybody's talking about you. Can we get you there? How will you behave? Shall we continue to be your friends? We ordinary people. Shall we continue to pick up the phone and call you? And will you answer? I said, let's get you there. What do you do with success? What do you do with money? What do you do with power? Usually, there's a loss of focus on life, on what's important. And on a mission Sunday like this, let me say, even the little blessing that you have here in the city is a measure of success, what are you doing with it? Have you, with this little success, a great job, two, three cars, a house, and a second one, and another one, now you are a member of a golf club, have you, are you at a place where you now can go to church, but have time to play golf on Sunday morning? Or Saturday morning, if you are the one who goes to church on Saturday. Are you available? To pick up a tract and go knock on someone's door and to say, Jesus loves you. What do we do with just this little success? Director, manager, CEO. Well, thank God for those very important things that we achieve in life. But I have seen that over time, these things blind us. And when we don't receive the respect we desire, when people don't recognize us as we ought to, somehow we lose focus. And We are unable to open our eyes to the needs that are around us. Uzziah at some point lost that focus. The similarity I see is that our Loss of focus on what is important. And to us, what's most important is the central mission of Jesus Christ. And when we lose focus of the central mission of Jesus Christ, the result is a loss of passion for souls. I am talking to people here today who understand what I'm talking about. When last did you feel the compulsion to go out there and reach out to somebody for Christ? Or is it easier week after week to wake up on a Sunday morning and just get in your car and come to church and not matter, not wonder who else is out there. Who is in fact unable to get up? Maybe because they are unwell. Maybe because they've never heard. Maybe because they don't see the importance of God and church. And there needs to be somebody to remind them. But it has long gone from your mind that that somebody could be you. But ha! Now you are the director of Chimtengo Enterprises International. There are more important things in your life. Monday to Saturday, you are busy with those things. Sunday, you do have time for a one-hour service. And when they go one hour and a half. You are angry with the church leaders and your are. Do you have time for what's important in life? Is this what a little promotion in life will do for you? Is this what a little extra business acquisition or business success will do to you? Last, did you wake up and feel in your heart, Oh God, that people might come to know you? When last did you open your eyes and see what Jesus talked about in Luke chapter ten and Luke chapter eleven out there? When in Luke chapter ten, when he said, "Look out! Look out! Lift up your head! Look at the harvest that it is ripe. The harvest is ripe, and that the laborers are few." And he said, "Pray ye therefore." To the Lord of the Harvest, when last did you get up and just feel, oh God, send someone. And maybe God is saying, you are the one I'm sending. When did that last happen? Our loss of focus on Christ's mission has resulted in a loss of passion for lost souls. I have come to remind us that not all is lost. We can pick this up again. I said we can pick this up again in Jesus' name. So in this message today there are three things I'd like us to consider. As we take a look at ourselves three things to consider. First I want us this morning to take a look at God. This is nothing new. I've taught on these things from so many angles it's time to get back to that basic arrangement again. Number two I want us to take a look at ourselves. Number three. I want us to take a look at the lost world. Quickly. Number one. We'll deal with these one by one. Taking a look at God. What we see in Isaiah. Chapter six, verse one. It's Isaiah having this encounter with God. And I would like you today to take your eyes off who you might be in society, who you have become, who I have become. On this Sunday morning, I want us to take a look at God. We began by reminding ourselves of the pandemic and the new variants. Seriously, let's take a certain look away from Omicron and let's take a look at God. Because when we see God in his perspective, in his reality, uh, we can handle ourselves and handle everything else around us. How about that? Hallelujah. Three things struck Isaiah when he took a look at God. First, the Bible says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. And when you look at the first segment of verse 1, the Bible says, Isaiah saw the Lord seated on a throne. That's number one. The second thing that struck Isaiah is that the Lord was High and exalted. The third thing that struck Isaiah was that there was what he calls a train of his robe that filled the temple. Essentially, that's the presence of God. That's the presence of God. So in applying these three things that struck Isaiah You and I can see obviously that in taking a look at God, we must see him as enthroned, ruling, having dominion. And if he's enthroned and ruling, he requires that you and I honor and worship him. There's no way we can take a look at God and keep, keep worshiping ourselves and keep focusing on ourselves and keep forgetting about the needs of others. Like I said, let's get you there with all the success around you. If God is not seriously and genuinely in sight, you will lose sight of Him and you will lose sight of what's around you and the focus will be yourself and your aspirations, and the things that will benefit you. Even when you say, say, I'm doing this for my family, it's... (laughs) That's easier said than done. Many times, it's about you and your ego. Uh, May God help us. And that's why we'll see why Isaiah later on says, war is me. So we must take a look at God. He's enthroned. So he desires and commands worship. He is high and exalted, which means he is above. Like we said earlier, every situation that we can face. We already said at the beginning of service, of the service, that Jesus. And it's okay to say Jesus because I already read a portion for you in John chapter twelve that says when Isaiah saw this, what does he say in John twelve? That Isaiah saw. Saw who? Saw the glory of Jesus. That's clear. That's what the Bible says, which also is evidence to the Trinity. That any time there's a description in the Old Testament of the Godhead of God, it is the Godhead: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's great evidence. And we're not just inferring. This is the scriptural record stating with specificity, that what Isaiah saw was the glory of Jesus. Hallelujah! The glory of Jesus. I don't know why people get hung up with theories and and theologizing to an extent where they have difficulty trying to see Jesus in the Old Testament. There's no need. He is right there. He was high and lifted up. So he's been given a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So you and I can have this encounter with God. And know that once we have this encounter with God, he grants us power to overcome the things that are belaboring and uh, bedeviling the lives of people today. Because his name is higher. Somebody shout hallelujah. The train of his robe filling the temple is essentially in reference to his presence. Yesterday, just before leaving Nairobi, I was given the opportunity to do the devotion for the morning. One of the things that the Lord had brought to my heart to share with God's servants there was to do with. This is quest for his presence. I made reference to the story in 2 Samuel where David was together with his uh, military men and uh, in order for them to conquer the site where the Jebusites were, in his military strategy, David observed that there was a shaft. So they prepared that shaft. The place was mountainous, very mountainous. And to be able to approach where the Jebusites were could not be done without the enemy picking you out visibly from far. So they had to come up with a strategy. And David found out there was a shaft that was going underneath. And they prepared that shaft so that his men were able to go. And it's believed that this was like a tunnel. They were able to go underneath somewhere. And this tells you that the kind of engineering you hear about today that deals with tunnels, didn't just begin today. it was there many years ago. Many, many years ago. And so they went through that tunnel and sort of crept up on the, um, the, 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 the enemy. And Joab led that charge and eventually they discomfited the enemy. Spiritualizing that. Bible talks about, so this was a, a, a secret tunnel. The Bible talks about a secret place. A secret place. You and I abiding in the secret place. He who dwells in the secret place. That secret place. That secret place. When you abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that is the secret place we are talking about. A secret place where you are seeking his presence. His presence matters. You cannot get up and go out there and do the things that you need to do without his presence. But genuinely, when you see him on his throne, genuinely, when you see him, high and lifted up, your eyes will look beyond the things around you and there will be that level of humility inside you to desire the presence of the Lord. It is like the way Moses felt it at one point in his leadership of God's people. He knew that he had to be in that secret place where God could hide him in his pavilion. The psalmist talks about that as well. And he was able to say, unless you go with us, we will not go up thence. And God's presence must be a yearning and a desire in your life. And when you have God's presence, beloved, you will not lack in a passion for souls. Somebody shout hallelujah. And, And as we close this bit, so I can tackle the other two items quickly, we cannot miss some complimentary lessons In verse 2, that we can pick up from the seraphim, the seraphs that um, Isaiah saw. He saw a picture of these seraphs, and it says there that with the wings that they had, with two, they were covering their faces. With two, they were covering their feet. And then they were flying. A reminder here that covering their faces is a picture of humility before God. There is no way we can see him without expressing a sense of humility. Covering their feet, in a sense, with their two wings, we have taught before, is a clear reference. To service for God. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. Hallelujah. And the men are going to Samshia this week. With beautiful feet. To do his good work. May that be your portion in Jesus name. They are flying. May speak of what we consider to be ongoing Activity of proclaiming God's holiness and glory. And that should be your occupation, my occupation on a daily basis. Somehow you and I must find ourselves on our knees, humbly calling upon Him, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Holy, Lord God Almighty. This kind of thing is not a programmed thing in the service. where we say, now let's kneel. Now let's get up. Not at all. It comes as a direct response to your encounter with God. As you encounter him and you face him and you see your finiteness, finiteness, your smallness, our smallness versus his greatness, his being lifted, we can see that there is nothing else that we can do there but humble ourselves. Before God, and the Bible says, Humble yourself before the mighty hand of the Lord, and He will lift you up. But as we talk about flying, let me encourage you to fly ongoing activity, proclaim, share the message, send the gospel. Send the gospel. That's why we are bringing the tracts here. I'm expecting us in this period, as we are closing the year, and as we start the new year, there will be lots of emphasis in this area. Let's get busy again. This is what we are meant to be. It's not just to be out there and leave this to Sister Charity Nkungulu and, uh, and the small uh, evangelism team here in the church. This is for everybody. Every one of us must be flying in that sense, getting busy onward activity of sharing the message. We will arm you for that. We have done these trucks. Take a good number for your home. Take a good number to take to your office. Take a good number to keep in the car when they stop you. I know there aren't many roadblocks these days, but I always like to give something to the police officers whenever I have an opportunity. Give them something to read. There must be this preoccupation with sharing the message of Jesus Christ. That leads me to uh, the next item. So we've just concluded there with taking a look at God and seeing the three things that struck Isaiah and the three lessons we learned from the seraphims and uh, what is conveyed to us. Let's take a look at ourselves, which was the bigger side of things for today. Isaiah in verse number five, says, "War is me." I said earlier, it's easy to blame and criticize those who are visible, the mistakes they are making, and so on. I said, let's put you and I there. How shall we behave? The hardest thing to do when you are running in life is to look at yourself. There are proverbs that we have in many of our languages that talk about how when you are pointing a finger like this, that you must remember that the majority of fingers are pointing back at you. So, if I'm pointing at Wawali, hey Wadi, hey, Wadi, hey, Wadi, remember that I have how many fingers here pointing at me? One, two, three. So I should not be focusing on Wadi. There must be time for me to look at me, to look at me. Look at yourself. You can't be everything wrong with everybody else. And uh, uh, the right thing's only with you? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No. So, this morning, as we, look at a, as we look at gaining a passion for the lost, let there be room for uh, war is me. Isaiah says, War is me. There is need to acknowledge our own personal shortcoming and sinfulness. Very important. When I say very important, I immediately think about our president because (laughs) he's he's the one who's reminding us these days. Very important. Okay. (laughs) All right. Very important. So war is me. Very important. There must be a place where you look at yourself critically. Be as ruthless, if not more, with yourself as you are with others. We are experts at being ruthless with others. How about it? Isaiah was at that place. I'll tell you what the secret is. When we take a look at God genuinely, we cannot fail to see the self and our shortcomings, our limitations. Today, look at that and see the opportunity God is giving. For I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. So, even while he's acknowledging the others around, he is observing that he is as much in need as the others are. Ah, But look at the last part. (laughs) I love this one. But my eyes have seen. My eyes have seen. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord. Of glory. Beloved, as you look at yourself, don't end there because you'll end up in self-pity because you can't help yourself. The aim to look at yourself must be to see frankly as to where the need is so you can call out. May your eyes end back at seeing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is a song the choir sings, I see the Lord. I see the Lord. He is high and lifted up. High and lifted up. Your eyes must see the Lord. Don't just end at seeing people and their shortcomings. If you end there, you'll be a sad person. The world will be a sad, a sad uh, society because of you. Because of your narrow perspective, when you see yourself and you see others, you increase on that because you won't do good. You do evil. But when you see yourself in light of God, you see that God is helping you, you will do good to society. You will help others. Society becomes better. Ah, may you see the Lord, the King of glory today. Somebody shout hallelujah. May you see the Lord. Last. We have taken a look at God. Taken a look at ourselves. Lastly, let's take a look at the lost world. is a question I've asked before in one of my writings. I picked it up so I could ask it again here. And the question is, why does it appear like we have lost sight of the importance of evangelism in the church? I have a few answers. One of the answers is that I believe we've allowed a lack of understanding of the lostness of mankind and the reality of hell. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, should not perish. Meaning, if they don't receive God's love by us sharing the word with them, they are lost. So, somehow, we have lost touch with the Reality of the lostness of mankind. So what has happened is that in some places, there's even a a changing of the message. They now talk about the fact that God, who created this world, can't be so unkind. You know, a loving God, sending his own creation to hell? No, God can't do that. So there's 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 a message going out. And some people are allowing that. No the reality of the lostness of mankind still exists. And you and I are the ones to close the gap by sharing the gospel. Hallelujah! Sharing the gospel. Now this does not mean we go out and appear heartless and tell everybody you see you are lost. You are lost. You are lost. And you, you are lost. No, no, no. We are supposed to go there with an answer. It's the love of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus Christ is what compels us. We can talk about the lostness of mankind, but quickly share the fact that if they receive Jesus, they don't have to go into a lost eternity. Sometimes, genuinely, it is a lack of knowledge of how to witness for Christ. So, in this end of year time, as well as in the coming portion of the new year, we will reemphasize again Christ's command to all of us and create room for teaching people how to witness. Christ's command in Acts chapter 1 is very, very clear in how he called his people to go take this message. And verse number 8, Acts 1.8, you know very well, talking about the fact that um, there would be witnesses. You and I are supposed to be those witnesses. In addressing this question, I have taught before that Mark 16 verse 15 discusses what I consider to be the normal Christian life. And the normal Christian life is supposed to be filled with witnessing, with signs following. So, like we've said before, sometimes in the church you find somebody who goes makes a visit at the hospital and a, a sick person He's healed instantly. The person comes back and starts healing, hospital healing ministry. And then they break away from the church. Because seemingly, something has happened for them which they don't see happening in the church. But I have said, the normal Christian life, according to Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, is that these signs shall follow them that believe. And doesn't mean that don't, them who have these signs must now form ministries. This is the normal Christian life. It should not surprise you to go and lay hands on the sick and the sick recovering. That's the normal Christian life. To preach and blind eyes see. That's the normal Christian life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Signs following is not just for preachers. We are all his witnesses. So my reading, and this is part of what I've written before, my reading is that we are focused on what is considered cheap grace, which is when we preach a non-Christ-centered gospel. Or when we preach forgiveness without requiring repentance. Because that is existent. Or when we preach baptism without church discipline. These things go together. We talk about baptism, showing the fact that we are now saying we're buried with Christ, we're living a new life. That must be followed by that consistency. And where that consistency is not there, church discipline has to be applied. Those are the balances. We have to have that. So, my reading is that our situation is aggravated by this imbalance. I also see that our situation is aggravated by the fact that we tend to pronounce communion without confession. We tend to preach grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ's incarnation and life. And we cannot preach grace at the expense of the fact that he who talks about grace is also a God of mercy and justice and holiness on one hand. And the reading of Isaiah brings all these things together. Because when Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among people of unclean. What happens is that there's action from on high. And the Bible says, angel went, picked up a call, and then said, see, I have touched your lips. So there was a cleansing. There was a commission. And this is calling for a return, a return to grace, which is as." Costly as us, making sure that the scriptures are at the center, as given in the scriptures. Luke chapter 9 verse 23, we must consider the cost of discipleship. No one can come to him and follow him without denying themselves. Denying themselves, denying yourself, denying myself. Taking up the cross and following him. That's the balance. Ah, may God give you that opportunity and may it be your portion today in Jesus' name. When you read 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17 John there talking about not loving the world all that is in the world the last of the flesh and the last of the eyes pleasures of this life all these things will pass away but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. And so when I look at Isaiah's message, it's a very simple call. It's a call, it's a cleansing, it's a commission. It's a call followed by cleansing. A call followed by commission. And you and I today can be cleansed. We have a general call to open our eyes and see the Lord can't help but think about the words of Keith Green. Open your eyes. Open your eyes to the things around you. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. This world is much more than the things that surround you. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. So many years ago that this young evangelist composed and sang that song, the words are still fresh. And for the generation that doesn't know Keith Green, Google Keith Green, and then add, open your eyes, listen to that song, and hear the freshness of that message. Today, beloved, on this Mission Sunday, I bring a call for us to focus again on this commission and on this cleansing. I'll put it very simply. Take a look at God. Let's take a look at ourselves. Let's take a look at the lost world. And God brings it back to a place where it's you and I. And the question is asked, who shall go for us? Indicating clearly, beloved, men reminding you today, you and I must be reminded that when we go, we are not more holy than those who remain here. They have supported us. They have given. They are sending us. We are going on behalf of everyone else. We don't go for ourselves. That is why the question was asked from heaven. Who shall go for us? The agenda is for heaven. The agenda is not us. Last week we said, not unto us. Psalm 115 verse 1 to 3. Not unto us. It is not for POG, Not for not mid-assembly. It is not even for God is able assembly at Musaila Junction. It is for heaven. And so as we go out this week, men, God is supporting. Him. Agenda He on whose behalf you are going is supporting your agenda. Now, we are privileged to have people who have just graduated from a class that teaches diplomacy. I understand from the briefings I've been very, very serious, briefings I've been getting from my my wife. I understand that you've been schooled into understanding the role of an ambassador. An ambassador is not about themselves. It's about selling the agenda of the country that has commissioned them. Their manners, their etiquettes, their ways to speak, ways to to do things, ways to address. All those things are around that whole etiquette. And you and I are ambassadors for Christ. And the Bible here stating clearly, Shall go for us. So I see heaven for a while. And God asking. Who shall go for us. To Musaila Junction. Do you think Musaila Junction. Features in heaven. Oh yes my dear friends. I know when we read the Bible. Sometimes we don't immediately connect our locations. With what God's agenda is. God has Misaila Junction in his mind. And he's asking, who shall go for us? Who shall go for us? This is in evidence again of the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're there in plural. Who shall go for us? Who shall go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. Send me. Some of you have answered already, saying, send me. Let not money be a barrier. Let not time be a barrier. Those of you who can't go because of time, right now, I'm giving us an opportunity. We're going to take our final missions offering, giving, sacrificially, to support every aspect. And we believe that what we, what we want to do in these three, four days when we're done, we want to leave God's people there blessed spiritually, but also blessed physically, because... They will have a church that is completed. I also want to say to you, we're we we carrying clothing and so on. So let's see this week. We only have to, today and tomorrow. Really, bring clothing, shoes, uh, dresses, jackets, shirts. Don't bring stuff. Okay, I know that it's stuff that you, you, you're giving away. But don't bring stuff that you yourself can't use. Bring something you can be able to use so someone else can use it. It's called sacrifice. So I don't expect you to bring a shirt which is torn on one side. It's like uh-uh, uh-uh. No, we don't do that. We don't do that. You will it and use it, but give something that you would like yourself to receive. <laughs> Hallelujah. So be gathering those things, beloved. What a privilege. And may you and I gain a passion for so to speak specifically to young people. Young people hear me. You know, I came to Christ, as you know. At age 14, as a young man, somebody invested. I've told you of Mr. Neston Tambo. I still want to get him here someday. Zin Mukushi. That's the man that preached the message to me. age, 14. How many years ago is that? How many years ago is that? Okay, so I excuse you. You don't know my age, so you can't guess it. The, the year was 1977. How many years ago is that? No, it's not a tricky question. I'm, I'm, I'm asking it for a reason. How many years ago is that? Huh? 44 years ago, somebody planted the seed. This seed has never died. Never died. The seed is now reaching millions. So start now, young people. And be there for your friends. And with your social media platforms, share Jesus. Share less of you on Instagram. And more of him. They've seen enough pauses of you. Time now. To share Jesus. Hallelujah. Time to share Jesus. Time to share Jesus. And you young people can go much further than we will ever have. Because of the prowess. and The acumen God has put inside you. So may it be your portion. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, beloved. Let me ask the choir to come.